Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. And in this podcast, we will cover the global and local developments you need to know this week. This week, we've got Andy Lark with us. Uh, he's a former CMO, well known to many of us from Combank, Zero, Dell and Foxtel. And of course, John Bradshaw, a former marketer with Diageo, Mars, Virgin and Lion. As always, we will look at global developments, the essential things you need to know from around the world. We call them intelligence briefs. Then we'll go into a deep dive on media automation and the impact on marketing and agencies and jobs. And finally, we'll talk about Matt Baxter's boycott of, or call for boycott of Facebook and whether it matters. First up, clues to Google's slowing revenue mystery. John and Andy, this week, Google had its share price uh, tumble somewhat after first quarter ad sales dropped, well, slowed, I should say. It's still 15% growth, mind you, but no real scenarios as to why Google's ad revenues are slowing. Bloomberg came out with some theories. The first one was there's only so much room on the on the mobile screens for ads, and Google's topped that out. Uh, it could be that Apple's crackdown on ad tracking by its Safari uh, browser is having impact on Google, or it might be Amazon, an impact it's having on, on taking uh, ad market share from Facebook and Google. So, John, to you first, which one are you going for, or is there any of those that work for you? Clearly, Amazon getting very serious in this space and kind of interesting to see Alphabet and Google facing some real competition for, for, for a change. And I'm wondering if we are starting to see the beginning of the end of that kind of first phase of exponential growth and maybe 30% quarter on quarter year-on-year growth isn't going to be the future. Um, I have to say 15% year-on-year growth doesn't sound like an awful performance from you know, from where I sit, but I totally understand why the market's given them a bit of a bashing. Good point, uh, Andy. Look, I, there's no question that the consumer and the small business environment is shifting. Um, consumers becoming less and less likely to engage in mobile advertising. Amazon absolutely has captured more and more consumer eyeballs. It's the go-to place in the US market now for uh, product search. They've taken that off Google. Um, but I do ponder whether there's a broader dynamic here with the massive turmoil in the US market, even us in Australia going through a federal election, our small businesses slowing down in their ad spend in environments that are just really uncertain to them. So small, medium-sized enterprises is where you would uh, finger most of the, the, the causal Look, effect it, here? Yeah, it's the majority of where they get their money uh, uh, and, and the efficiency of their engine and Facebook's engine, these massive highly effective sales engines they've built target heavily that small business market. And um, I, I think it's I think it's real easy to jump to things like face uh, like Apple, for instance, but I just don't think that that's material given Safari's share. What, do you, what is it, 14%, about I think you four, said? About 14% at the moment, so versus Google at 69. And, that's um, in, in browser share. Yeah, yeah. So you look at it and you just go, I, I just don't know that that's that material. And, and, and look, you look at the amount of money that Apple takes from Google for that, they're not going to be that keen to turn that revenue off. But um, I, do, I do, do come back to whether or not we are seeing – a bit more uncertainty in the small business market that's causing them to tail back on dollars. So just pulling back dollars, not putting it anywhere else, just t- just pulling back. Yeah, and, and and are there other trends here that we're just not really clued into just yet? Is 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 this sort of massive wave of influencer marketing spend coming to an end as we get oversaturated by influencers and the like? Is there a, a shift to people moving more and more dollars on, onto Instagram, to Snapchat and other platforms? Now, the consumer, the way consumers are increasingly consuming media now 
it continues to evolve really, really quickly. And now on to the next one, gents. Uh, Marriott's uh, an interesting uh, pushback against the great Airbnb. It's launching a new homes and villas brand and using its loyalty members, 120 million of them, to take some share back from Airbnb. Can it work? This is the uh, the grand question. Are you are you buying its line that um, it can fight back? Well, look, um, good luck. I don't think Airbnb will blink. This is a brand that... Um, uh, doesn't really have affinity with the Airbnb market, I would argue. But look, they've got an enormous loyalty base. A chunk of that will um, dive in and enjoy it and, and test it. They, whenever someone says, we're going to take back share, re- really what they're talking about is stopping leakage. And these guys have been leaking rooms to Airbnb for way too long. So um, my my prognosis on this one is about time. John? Yeah, kind of similar. But I do think it's a really interesting experiment. They've got the core competencies to be able to do this. Uh, 2,000 properties is definitely a pilot, um, not a launch. But if they can make this work, I think this is a really interesting play from Marriott. Good to see the legacy hotel operators starting to wake up. Well, this is the point, right? Is, is should if this is right or wrong, they should be doing something. Is it better something than nothing? Uh, whether it works, that's the big question. Absolutely. Right, the next one: uh, connected TVs taking search and social budgets. So we've talked a little bit about this before, but uh, the, the argument here from DigiDay is that direct-to-consumer brands and challenger brands are starting to shift some of their performance money out of the digital players and putting them into connected TVs. And uh, surprise, surprise, they're saying this is um, this is this is uh, going to work. Is the money really moving in great volume? No, no. <laughs> Because there's not that many connected TVs, um, right. <laughs> and there's there's not a lot for marketers to buy. Look, I mean, this is another duh moment from Digiday, and you just you got to be so careful as a marketer reading this stuff. You don't know the sample size. You know, you've got you've got um, you know media agency people spousing on about fifteen percent of their client base moving. Well, you don't know whether they have ten clients, twenty clients. I mean. I mean, come on. Look, the average marketer out there is smart enough to know that once connected TVs are here, they're going to invest heavily in it. It's a smart move. You're seeing more and more of these so-called challenger brands, which what on earth, you know, um, um, they're actually embracing traditional media as much as traditional legacy brands are. I mean, my analogy there is I can't walk around the streets of Sydney without seeing an Uber Eats or an Uber billboard of some sort. Um, We're getting mail drops in our mailboxes from Uber. I'm seeing them in cinemas and on TV. I can never even recall seeing Uber and digital. So, look, I mean, marketers are smart. They'll they'll go to the most efficient means to build their brands. Connected TVs are coming, and uh, we're ready. We're ready to move. John? Uh, Yeah, I kind of agree. This is kind of small fish at the moment, but will be interesting when you can do a more performance style of marketing in television. Um, I have a slight concern that that's going to even further erode the use of kind of television and what we might call legacy media for the brand building job, uh, which we're increasingly learning is as least as, if not more important than the performance marketing job. And as soon as the kind of big brand building medium, which is TV, when we can do kind of hyper-targeted and personalized click-through work in that environment, we're going to see even less brand building. And that's bad for marketing effectiveness overall, as far as the kind of research shows us at the moment. So the risk for me is that TV becomes even less about brand building and more about making the sale today, and that's a risk for marketing overall. 
To the next one, uh, consent management platforms may violate GDPR. This is a roll-your-eyes-sounding headline and story, except that it's fundamental to where everything is headed, both uh, in marketing agencies, media, the lot, technology. This is, again, from Ad Exchanger. In Europe, these things called consent management platforms, which essentially fast-track the ability for a user to go, yes, you can do whatever you want with my data. The EU saying, no, this is not good enough. There's not enough detailed consent that you're getting from the user, so therefore it's not acceptable big implications for real-time bidding and programmatic advertising uh, because the individual, the user, has to know and give consent about where that information is going. In a nutshell, it threatens real-time bidding and programmatic advertising, in Europe at least, uh, or does it? Andy? Yes, unequivocally. And this is going to hit us down here in Australia and New Zealand as well. I think there is a time and a place for more marketers to come together around the essential notion of data and what, it, what these regulations are going to mean for them. It is, it, this is a hardcore issue uh, that is going to create new roadblocks, new speed bumps uh, for marketing globally. Do you think they know it here in Australia? Do we realise just what's coming? I think the smart marketers clearly do, but there is not a lot of dialogue on the overall impact of um, GDPR on uh, marketing down here. And I think, you know, we'll see where the ACCC lands on its... Um, sort of deep dive into the evolution of the media sector, but you've got to anticipate at some point this will play a key role in what they're thinking. John? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. We were talking earlier about kind of headwinds for Google and Alphabet, and this is kind of another one on their horizon, I think. As we start to have a much more informed conversation about what brilliant free services like Google and Facebook actually cost us in terms of kind of data privacy, it'll be interesting to see where we get as a bunch of consumers about how comfortable am I giving away lots of information about myself for what's frankly some pretty cool free shit? And we're starting to have that conversation. That's a good thing for a society, probably a good thing for marketing. Now we're moving to the deep dive, uh, a, a big piece of analysis for the week. And this week it's media automation in media and marketing. 65% uh, of all media transactions, according to a media ecologist, Jack Myers, will be automated and just 25% will be ideas and relationships based. Uh, machine informed transactions, media transactions will be 95%. Gents, do you, apart from who Jack Myers is as a media ecologist, do you buy the line, Andy? 100%. Uh, the bit of the line I don't buy is that it comes at the expense of uh, relationship and ideas. So this idea of isolating 25% of media transactions will, be, will remain relationship and ideas, that's absolutely not going to happen. I think it it's the wrong view of the decision stack. I, I think 65% of all media automation within six years is vastly conservative. It could be 90. It could impact half to three quarters of jobs in most um, digital media buying teams. Uh, it'll certainly have a massive impact in cutting through headcount in media agencies. It cause, could cause media agencies themselves to start developing their own platforms and trying catching some of the innovators coming out of Israel and the US in this space. But the idea that um, only 25% of media transactions will remain relationship and ideas, 100% of all media transactions will be based on relationships and ideas um, and strategy. Um and and but the automation of routine tasks, buying, bidding, or, or, and implementation of those strategies will be absolutely automated. So, in conjunction with the the, implica- the implications on jobs uh, for our sector, the World Economic Forum talks about task hours. They will be at fifty two percent of all task hours will be done by machines by twenty twenty five across all industries. So, for this industry, for the media marketing agency tech sectors, 
What does it mean for jobs? And we'll start with the marketers first, but, you know, change of skill sets, processes, what does automation mean for, for, for the marketing teams? You'd hope you'd see a rebalancing towards the ideas, relationships and kind of strategy aspect of the job. Um, certainly my observation of kind of about, about media is it's become very transactional. There's a lot less of clients willing to pay for media strategy, and that means a lot less media strategy getting done. And certainly I was kind of involved in kind of 10, 15 years ago when I was really at the front end of this kind of stuff. So you'd hope that some of this might drive a rebalance towards more thoughtful and kind of intelligent debate about media and then letting the machine get on with the execution bit of it. But that's up to the kind of media agencies to think about how they reinvent themselves in this kind of world where you need less 24-year-olds kind of in, on the buying desk. What does the marketing department look like, Andy? Well, look, the um, the trick here is um, all, all of these um, numbers lead us to convenient conclusions, like we'll reskill our workforce, we'll reallocate our workforce. But the reality is that the actual platforms we're talking about come at an enormous cost. And so when you go out today and you want to buy Albert or you want to buy one of these AI machine learning platforms to automate all your buying, they come at an enormous cost. And the only way to offset that cost in a business's P&L is by removing headcount or removing other spend. So there's not enough in the investment required to simply do that through increased efficiency of marketing. You actually need to cut a whole lot of heads. So it is actually going to reduce headcount within particularly digital media buying planning teams across all industries. Um, but at the same time, these technology platforms that we've been busy implementing over the past 10 years in marketing automation and CMS and audience management, all these things have come at a huge cost to business without the appropriate allocation of resources to manage and operate them. So I would, I, I do on my optimistic side think that uh, marketers can find new homes and new roles and be reskilled for all kinds of exciting new work within the profession of marketing as it evolves. But I think you've got to bring that to the brute force of a P&L and a balance sheet and go, at some point, a CFO or a CEO is going to go, yeah, you can go spend millions on AI and automation, but um, you better show me where the uh, dollars are going to come from to fund that because you're not getting more money. It does raise some serious questions for the ability of the small media agency to exist. Yeah, when absolutely. When they need kind of millions of dollars in a kind of platform in order just to be able to kind of trade and operate. And that'd be a shame because there's some great kind of smaller offerings out there in the kind of media land. And that competition, I think, is healthy. But for marketers as well, though, Andy, you think there's some there's some cuts coming there for the types of jobs? No question. D- digital media buying as a whole, whether it's programmatic or the other forms, uh, is going to be hit really hard by this because there's no question these 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 platforms do it far more efficiently than humans. But what they also do is replace a whole lot of the mundane tasks. So I, I, I spend a fair bit of time in and out of media agencies and you go in, um, there's a group of senior people, and then there's this army of 24, 28, 32-year-olds sitting around. They seem to be largely building PowerPoint presentations. Um, all of that, And I'm being slightly cynical when I say that for effect, but those jobs go away. You, you don't need those jobs anymore. And um, so the impact is actually going to be really pretty profound. But I, I would say you look at the cycle of technology, on, on average, it's about 10 years before from the start of the technology to the disruption point. And then it's another 10 to 15 years. So what Jack's saying here is right. I think a five to seven year forecast given we're three years in, but that will be the start of the apocalypse, not the apocalypse itself. The the following 10 years is where we'll see massive transformation and shifts. um, And then we'll gradually be replaced with a new set of technologies. Well, on that fine news, we'll move to the next one. So leader um, profile this week is with the Australian expat and global CEO of Initiative Media, Matt Baxter. 
Baxter came out uh, late last year saying that uh, advertisers should boycott Facebook because of another uh, misdemeanour and around uh, disclosure of data. Should advertisers be boycotting uh, Facebook on some of its behaviour? It's it's an ongoing, you know, there's lots and lots of debate and we've got regulators and policymakers, but Matt Baxter's called to, you know, wake Facebook up with some with some boycotts. What do you think? Well, look, the question is, is this still Matt's position, right? If I had a dollar for every marketer that had had a, a tantrum and pulled their ads, it's something the media had done, um, I'd be rich. But um, look, I actually don't think it's particularly constructive at all or particularly sensible. I think what we face here are some really interesting and important issues around the way data is used and treated and our understanding of what these companies mean when they commit to do certain things with data. Um, And so I I think it is really important that marketers at this point come together, um, really understand what these vendors mean, what these media partners mean when they suggest that they aren't going to allow people to access our data. And then, uh, more importantly, engage in a really constructive dialogue with them around what should change. Us pulling ads, uh, the evidence is loud and clear. It does not cause them to change. So how do we actually engage with regulators? How do we actually engage with the media companies themselves and get them to... Um, adhere to the standards we expect. I'll come to you in a minute, John, but to, to I guess to Matt's defence, I did talk to him last week about the, that very issue and said, okay, what's happened since? Um, he said some of his advertisers have pegged back uh, on, on Facebook and put money elsewhere, but he also says that what he said publicly late last year was nothing anyone else was not saying privately in meetings over lunches and on golf courses. The difference was that he actually said it and there's some, basically you needed to, we, the industry needs to challenge these ongoing uh, misdemeanours by the tech platforms. That's his defence. Uh, John, your take. Yeah, I kind of agree with Andy on this one, that pulling ads from this platform is unlikely to deliver the type of change that we want. That's not to say that the kind of change probably isn't required but also looking to the advertisers to be the architects of the change within uh, an organization the size of Facebook um, on a consumer data issue it feels like we're kind of applying pressure at the wrong end that I've got at least as many questions about the efficacy of kind of Facebook adver- advertising as I have about the ethics of it. Not really sure this is the kind of right way to tackle this really kind of serious issue. Some of the stuff we were talking earlier kind of around consent platforms and things like that start to open up this debate to a much more kind of healthy level of kind of what really are we exchanging in terms for the services that we're getting and are we are we truly happy with that uh, the thought that facebook is selling your messages and someone's sat in a quiet dark room somewhere reading what you wrote to your auntie last night is you know uh, laughable in the extreme. Well, I think the, to Matt's defence, I think there's a couple of things. One is the, the, the regulators and policymakers are coming, so marketers are going to have to be across that in terms of the user user data and privacy and disclosure, and we talked about that. So I think there's a, there's an issue there that the industry needs to be aware of. Secondly, when you, you, you question the uh, efficacy of boycotts, it was indeed uh, P&G's um, Mark Pritchard and it was Keith Weed at Unilever and those guys at a global level three years ago that started to challenge the, media, the digital media supply chain and put it on the map and said, now, did they pull money? Uh, Procter & Gamble did out of YouTube for, for a good 12 months. It was those big players making big noises about what the the behaviour of the platforms that actually got the debate going in the first place. So I'm on the opposite side of the table to you guys, but then I'm not, mar- I'm not a marketer either. Um, Andy? Well, look, I mean, you know, I, I watched what Procter & Gamble did. They're, they're one of a thousand major FMCG brands around the world um, and good on them. That's their right to exercise it. I don't think it changed a single thing. 
I actually don't think it made an ounce of difference. If it had made an ounce of difference, Matt wouldn't be on his soapbox at the end of last year. And I actually think these are really serious issues, which I don't think we're absolutely clear on. I don't think we know what Facebook or YouTube or some of these people mean when they say they're going to treat our data in certain ways. Um, so I think there is a huge education effort that needs to occur. I think there is a huge effort that needs to be undertaken with marketers about setting their own standards and saying these are the, we don't buy on those platforms for these reasons. And we don't care about the business imperative that might drive us to do it because we simply are not going to do it. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think we need a, a really constructive level of engagement with our, our regulators to um, make sure the consumer, our consumer, is protected. But what it is really good to see is like people with a platform like Matt and Keith Weed and Mark, and yeah. Mark Pritchard starting to talk about some of the issues that these kind of new digital platforms are throwing up, both in terms of the ethics around them and the efficacy. Well, I think there's no question. I mean, firstly, I know that you guys think there's a bit of grandstanding for Matt, but the, the, the reality is that if we don't have some voices saying this, and even, Andy, you've said it last year as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. I don't think Matt's grandstanding. I, I, I just think um, he's putting an issue out there, and I think it takes a lot of courage to do that, and good on him for doing it, right? He's trying to, to help us not forget that this is actually a serious issue that's on our minds, and marketers need to step up. My view is that without Pritchard and Weed and others doing that two or three years ago, you say, did it work anything? The platforms came running. They said, for, for the first time ever, they said, actually, instead of denying that there was a problem, whether it be measurement, whether it be user issues, they came out and they started to say, we need to fix this. And it was only the pressure that came from marketers and the, and the, and the regulatory uh, environment that forced these companies to actually behave like the rest of us have to. And I think that's the, if you say, did it make an impact? It had some big impact behind the scenes on how they were prepared to open up a little bit more. Spot on. So that's it from us. There is much more at mi-3.com.au. We'll talk to you next week. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button to get a free notification every time we release a new episode.